0: Today on Laura Lynn and Friends.
1: Really, what we're doing is we're restoring faith in good literature. We're raising the bar in literature. What happens is when you raise that bar and that becomes the new standard, all this other, let's just be honest, crap fades away.
2: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the beginning of the last days. It is good to see you. My name is Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson, and uh, we're always here to do life together and it's been a bit of a rough go I'll have to say lately all the news coming out of every which way is kind of scary and uh, we're going to talk more about that at the end of the show actually some of the things going on but I wanted to because it's been so very very heavy I wanted to bring you something absolutely amazing and that is that we've got some real choices for our kids and so we have a uh, an author and um a new movie that is going to be coming out. And I am very, very excited about this because I remember when uh, my kids were growing up that I always wished that there were more options, you know, good options, uh, powerful options that weren't full of, you know, witchcraft and crazy stuff. And of course, they're always drawn to, you know, all of these um, great epic productions that have, you know, uh, massive sci-fi, You know, and all these special effects going on, and uh, kids love that stuff, and sometimes it's not giving them the right message at all. So, then as a parent, you know, you're in the place where you're trying to protect them, and yet you're like, What are we gonna do? Okay, so you know that I always like to start the show by reading from my dad's Bible. I've got this one hair that's just driving me nuts today. so I like to read uh, from my dad's Bible. I, I miss him so much. And I thought, well, in light of the fact that uh, we're going to a, a really cool series, you guys are going to love this and be very excited for your kids. So just wait. But, you know, in Revelations, it's got this amazing imagery and all the beasts and the, the angels and, and the releasing of the, you know, golden you know what do they call those like uh, the the next uh tab is released um oh i know the what The the seals the seals the seals get released okay it's so exciting i mean if you could make a movie out of all this stuff it it would be purely phenomenal so i thought well what did my dad underline and you know that i I go to where my dad, um, you know, he's underlined this whole, whole book. So I never have anything short of what to find. So I open up Revelation six, which is like, whoa, six, seven, and eight. And it has all of this stuff. um, And my dad has marked it from like, it's, it's completely marked up. All right. So what are some of the things that he has starred? Well, and there went out another horse that was red. And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him, and uh, had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. It goes on and on. My dad has started. So this is in Revelation 6, uh, verses 4 to 6. And that's all I can give you. That is like the teaser. And you know what? you got to start reading uh, this good book for yourself. I mark up my Bible now so that one day, hopefully, my kids, when I'm gone, they go, what did mom think was important? Because she's not here anymore to give us her advice. And so I love marking up my Bible. And, of course, we always read from it at the end of the show. But um. I don't know if you're like me. Uh, we we want our kids to have the best possible influences and we want them to have exciting things to preoccupy that tremendous imagination that they have. So there's an author and we're gonna meet him. And this is absolutely wonderful. When should we play the trailer? Should we play it before we introduce Chad? Oh, okay. Oh, it's something different. Okay. Chad, Chad Robert Stewart uh, is a creativity and writing expert born in Newport Beach, California. He's an international award-winning and best-selling author, creativity educator, global strategist, prominent speaker, and prolific writer. Chad Stewart has now written four of a seven-book series called Britfield. It's a real-time story with real places, history, geography, and teaching kids how to think, work together, and live through history together without one magic wand or broom. I love that part. Okay, Chad, welcome to the show. Thank you for waiting in the wings. And thank you so much from myself and parents like me for what you've done in creating um. Oh you know, a visual that kids can be excited about and to make reading come alive.
1: It's exciting. Yeah, it's exciting. It started uh, 12 years ago, and then we officially launched book one, Britfield and Lost Crown, 384 pages in August 2019. And uh, since then, it's, uh, it's done very well. It's, done a, it's a national bestseller, um, uh, one of the most awarded books in children's fiction, go figure. And, uh, and then we launched book two, Britfield and the Rise of the Lion, July 2021. And then we just launched Britfield and the Return of the Prince, book three, in September uh, last year. And then I'm actually just finishing book four, Britfield and the Eastern Empire. So we're really excited. I mean, it took me from concept to launching it. It took over 10 years, as you can well imagine. Hard work, dedication. took me four, hour, uh, sorry, four years and 2,500 hours just to write book one. And um, what we've really done is we've created this fast-paced, exciting series for children, specifically and even adults. Our youngest readers, seven our oldest readers, 93 years old. And uh, 55% of our reading audience are adults. And uh, Book one takes place in England, and it's really about family, friendship, loyalty, and courage. And just as you'd mentioned, uh, as people are reading it, children are reading it, they're learning about geography, art, architecture, and culture. And we're hitting the four C's, creativity, critical thinking, communication, and collaboration. And so what's so great about it is like you said, uh, we don't use any of the devices in, in traditional fiction where it's you know mysticism, occultism, witchcraft, demigods, superheroes. And that's just saturating the market, as you well know. It's probably 85, 90 percent saturation of the market. Therefore, we think figure there's about an 85 to 90 percent gap for really good quality, family-friendly content that not only encourage kids, but educate them.
2: It's absolutely wonderful. And, uh, you know, so when you began this series, like, have you always had a creative mind? Did, did you kind of think back to when you were a kid and what inspired you? I remember James and the, is it James and the Big Peach story? Yeah,
0: you James know? and the Peach. Yeah. 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 One of my
1: favorite. <laughs> absolutely one of my favorite books. In fact, that, it's funny you said that, because if you look at the book and the big, you know, like you look at book one, you can see there on your screen. Yeah. Uh, with that big orange thing, and I and I think that subconsciously for me was James right. and Draft Peach. I love that scene where the you know the, all the birds picked it up and it was flying through the air. And kids kids minds are so amazing when they're when they're you know younger. And um, you know like there's been tests that have been done that have like have um, tested five year olds and and they they're scoring like ninety five percent off the charts. You know ninety five out of a hundred little geniuses. And unfortunately. You know as they grow older and especially with the school and educational system they kind of teach creativity out of you and we're trying to put creativity back inside them and, and really get them stirred and inspired but um yeah books that i that i i love was um beverly clearly the mouse of the motorcycle one one way ralph and then i love james and giant peach charlie and the chocolate factory was an entire world the hardy boys i know you probably had the, the nancy drew series yeah they're just fun series and then i got into charles dickens i like dickens i think i think we're very similar to that in the sense that at least Charles Dickens' books took place in current time, dealt with real places, real issues, you know, in a sense, real people, and uh, obviously big influenced by C.S. Lewis and, and then um, a lot of other British literature and British authors, so.
2: Absolutely amazing. And so what I uh, appreciate about what you've done, too, is combining real-world places so that kids actually are kind of getting an education as you're inspiring them, you know, in their imagination.
1: Yeah, that's it's interesting because we um, well, not only have had national, but we've had global impact. And um, really everything we've done for the last four and a half years has been a sort of a soft launch And then next year, it will be sort of our global launch. So we're excited. So it's seven books, seven major motion pictures. We're working on television series right now, products. We're working on a board game, which we can talk about. We launched the Britfield and the Lost Crown theatrical play, a uh, two-act, 90-minute play specifically for elementary and middle school. So we're trying to bring back, again, too, great content into theater programs for elementary and middle schools, even high schools. And uh, when we kicked this thing off, which is interesting, in 2019, we started a um, national tour. I drove 9,000 miles. I visited 23 states, presented at over 200 schools in front of more than 40,000 students. And uh, we'd, have, we'd have auditoriums of three, 400 uh, fourth through eighth graders. And we do a wonderful presentation, a little bit on Britfield and, and and how I had the idea and the concept. And then it took me 10 years from concept and idea to finally launching it, a lot of hard work and dedication. Let me talk about the importance of creativity and storytelling. And so we're having a national global impact, a uh, huge gap for it. We're connecting with, with children and, and, and kids and students in a way that I, I think most books just don't. And it's because it's so authentic. You know, you'll never you'll never connect with Harry Potter. You might've been an orphan, you might be an only child, but you're not a witch, you know what I mean? You don't solve your problems by waving a wand or getting on a broom. Or a magical cloak, or saying spells—you're you, not. You don't have superpowers, and so all this content out there is really made—it's it's created to disconnect kids from reality, or make them to want to be something more than than they are, which I think is horrific. Because every kid is amazing, every child is, is amazing. That they all have gifts and talents that they just have a chance to discover them and, and define them. And I think that ha- I had a great elementary school when I was growing up in Newport Beach, California, and I had great teachers and and that makes so much impact. You have no idea, or maybe you do, right? Especially at that age, 10 to 12, it's so vital to really give children as many opportunities that you can and creative exercises and fun events and things like that.
2: I absolutely love it. Now, in the comments, someone's asking, like, is this a great homeschooling tool? I've um, oh, already yes. mentioned, yeah. you know, with schools, but a lot of people are literally uh, removing their children from schools in Canada yes. in particular and across the US because of the trashy books and the trashy, you know, agendas that they're shoving down everybody's throat.
1: I think right now and I've, I've done multiple interviews on this, but we're we're in an educational Reformation much like Martin Luther 500 years ago, and you're seeing the the ends of days For the traditional public system it's just it's gone off the rails parents are sick and tired of it Um, you're looking at a homeschool revolution in the united states we've gone from 5 million to over 15 million homeschoolers within the last two years and growing and these books are literally designed specifically book one to be taught at home Um, we have an 83 page study guide based on national standards to be taught chapter by chapter we're already in thousands of schools across the nation we're already being taught this semester in hundreds of schools across the nation. So it's a perfect book to teach because it's it's fun, it's exciting, it's fast paced, but but we also have this great study guide. So you can just teach it chapter by chapter, vocabulary, questions, everything that you'd want. Then we have our website, our award-winning website um, with over 400 pictures of England. We have interactive maps, over 100 pages of information. And so this really is designed as, a, as an educational and creativity movement in education and literature and uh, movies.
2: Wow. And so what um what affiliation do you have to England uh, being <laughs> Yeah. So so Yeah, you know, my last so name's
1: Stuart. So so actually okay. uh, it goes all right? the way. Yeah, no, it goes all the way from Mary Queen of Scots, actually. Right. Uh, and then they eventually changed the spelling of the name from uh, S-T-E-W to, to S-T-U. But uh, so so I have that, I guess. And um, I lived in England off and on for two years as a British literature major, European history major, double major. And so I've always had a great um, love of England, to say the least, their history, uh, their architecture, the people. It's so interesting. I mean, it doesn't matter where you go in England. I don't care. It's the most obscure little town and it's got history. <laughs> Some battle or, you know, Dickens lived here or, you know, like Keats, you know, like lived here or wrote a book. I mean, it's just like it's amazing and, um, and I just love the people. And so every book that I do is really a tribute to that country and the magnificence of that country, like book two in France and then book three in Italy and then book four is Eastern Europe and Russia. Book five will be Asia, starting in South Korea. And then book um, six will be South America. And then we bring back the whole series, book seven uh, to, to the United States. And so it's this worldwide, wonderful, fast-paced tour with this royal mystery. And and Tom and Sarah started at 12 in book one, and then they're 13 in book two, and 14 in book three, which is great. So they're they're aging by one year, which is a lot of fun for me, too, as an author. And as you as a mother know, there's a big difference between 12 and 13, Mm -hmm. and 13 and 14. I always say it's like a decade, right? I mean, from 12 to 14 is like two decades, Um, you know. 35 to 36, no big deal, right? But, um, so it's a lot of fun to, to age them. It's great to have the different um, countries as sort of a background. They play another character into it. And um, it's just incredible. I mean, uh, like I said, our youngest reader's seven, our oldest reader's been 93. We've had 12 year olds that have read the 384 pages in, in five hours, uh, we're just having. I've had children that have uh, read it three or four times. It's their favorite series. Um, I've had groups or kids that are putting together their own little Britfield clubs and uh, you know, playing out the characters and reading the parts. I have parents that are actually reading it along with their kids now, which I just love, and they're getting involved in it. We're having a huge impact on literacy. And I know that because we're getting feedback from librarians across the world that might have a reluctant reader, mostly on the male side, 14 or 15 years old, they're reading the graphic novels, they've never really read a book or a novel, and they suggest Britfield and they come back two days later and, and and they're like, where's book two? And I mean it's I'm just so grateful for that. I mean, that's we have all these unintentional things, if you will, and this amazing impact. But I think if you if you create great content, the rest will follow. If you do your best, um, the rest will follow. So
2: wow, that that is very, very exciting. Um, did so this is being made into Like you've got some potential to have a full-fledged movie come out.
1: Yes, it's been in development for the last um, 18 months. I've already got a great production team, uh, one of them with 40 years uh, in the industry, pretty much knows everybody. Uh, we just received our third draft of the uh, final, really kind of the final draft of the movie script. And uh, actually, I'm talking with my producer today after the uh, interview. <laughs> and then uh, wow. and we're kind of getting everything ready. So we're actually in a transition stage right now, which is exciting. Um, And we'll be in pre-production early next year, spring. And if everything goes well, we could actually be filming in England um, and parts of Eastern Europe, but England in um, October next year. And then launching the first of seven major motion pictures uh, November 2025. And I, I honestly, from our research and from my instinct and from everything that we know, we think this will be actually one of the largest, highest grossing films in cinematic history. I think the nation and and world is ready for just good content. I think they're just absolutely sick and tired of the stuff that's being produced and put out by Hollywood. And what you have in this fast paced fun story about family, friendship, loyalty, courage and faith, I think we'll have that kind of Star Wars impact 1977 or ET or a Titanic moment. I think kids will come back and see it multiple times. I think grandparents will finally have something to take their grandkids to. Parents can go out and have a family night with their kids and just watch a great film. And so so we're excited. We're going to be doing an 18-month global tour, uh, book tour and school tour starting next year. So,
2: Wow. I cannot tell you uh, how excited I am about this, and I think we need more of it. Uh, people want to know, like, how do we get your books now?
1: Yeah, I know um, you're in Canada, so uh, easy to buy through Amazon. And, okay. Uh, but if you but uh, you know, if you want, you can always um, purchase through Britfield.com website, you know, we have a great website. If you purchase through our website, you get signed copies, which I uh, won't be doing too much longer because I'm getting busy. But I do love signing every book because it's it's it's, it's a moment. I think I think right now and, and it's exciting being on your show. I'm very grateful, but I do think this is like a historical moment. This is an amazing uh, movement. And, um, and, and and I'm hoping that I'll, I'll, I'll set the world on fire for others to follow you know what i mean and really what we're doing is we're, we're restoring faith in good literature we're raising the bar in literature and what happens is when you raise that bar and that becomes the new standard all this other let's just be honest crap fades away because people get tired of it you know they're tired of the tired of the mcdonald's meals where it might smell okay and it, and it tastes good but it, it but it's Crap, you know, let's be honest. And, yes. and it doesn't do anything good for your body. You know what I mean? And it's like you read Britfield and it's like it's stimulating and it's interesting and it's exciting. And you're learning things, you know, and it's got maps in the front of the books. And then, you, and then, you know, you got all the interactive maps and all the information on the website. So it's just it's really a, a great, fast-paced, fun story. Wow.
2: This this is so fantastic. And, uh, you know, I, I literally am going to be praying that this movie and a series of movies is made because Amen. we are having the hardest time finding a good family movie that we can all go to that you don't feel like you have to cover your grown son's eyes. Never mind, like, we're, we're a close-knit family. We went, you know, we go to movies with, um, you know, with our kids when, when we can, especially our youngest, you know, because he's kind of unattached and, and we can hang out a little bit, but it's so embarrassing or so, like, you it know is. all the swear swear words, all of the the LGBTQ agenda. Um, it's just everywhere, and it's very hard to find that special show. And this sounds like this is it. I want this. I really, really want this.
1: Yeah, we're, we're excited. This will be the first of seven movies, and so you know, movie two will be in France, movie three will be in Italy, and um, and it is. And you're right. I mean, there's just so little content out there, and it's and it's funny too because, and again, we've done our research, but. Um, And, and, you know, pretty much everything that Hollywood puts out is, you know, is agenda oriented. I mean, that's really why it exists. It's not to exist to make great movies. They're bankrupt. They've been bankrupt for for really almost for decades. It's not about the money. It's about the agenda. And the funny thing is, is if you make an R movie into a PG-13, you make more money. Every profanity word you take out of a movie, you make more money. Uh, If you go from a PG-13 to a PG movie, you make more money. For every nude scene, you take out of a movie you make more money. They know that the entire story exists so they can put that stuff in there. So there is no competition out there, you know? And I hope I say this to inspire other writers, other film people, do it, put it together. It's not, it's, it's gonna be hard like anything. Anything of value will take time. They say the difference between a hobby and a profession is 10,000 hours. It's very accurate. It could be 10 years of hard work. It took us 10 years. From concept to writing to launching book one, but get out there and do it because it's like there's a huge gap for this quality content, and um, so we're excited.
2: I'm very excited. My my last question to you, Chad, um, is you you talked you mentioned the word faith, and uh, I can tell you know you said amen, uh, so obviously <laughs> you're a, you're a man of faith. Um, how did you kind of weave uh, faith like through the? Through the books, it was was that a deliberate thing so that you would be as well bringing that aspect to kids? I think,
1: yeah, the books books were designed, obviously, for a global audience. And really, you know, it's 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 family. It's it's based on family, friendship, loyalty and courage and faith. And those those are the foundations of it, you know, as as a man of faith, as a man, as a godly man that inspired the writing. But there's nothing in there as far as agenda or anything that's compromised and i was very careful about that and so they're just they're they're incredibly well-written books without any of the nonsense that you're going to get from from mainstream and um but with that said i never wanted to narrow the writing you know i mean I, i i want everyone to read the book and enjoy it and be inspired by it i mean we're trying to we're trying to inspire the next generation of children uh with the britfield series imagination creativity creativity's the most important skill set in the world right now. And that's not just sounds like flash over substance or fun, that's a fact. You know, creative applicants are preferred 5 to 1 to 10 to 1. It's not engineering, it's not mathematics, it's not it's not medicine, it's not law, it's not engineering. All all the stuff that's not already offshored or replaced by a computer will be obsolete because of AI in the next 5 to 10 years. 80% of all the accounting industry will be will be obsolete in the next 5 to 10 years because of AI. of the entire medical industry and law industry will be obsolete and gone. I'm not a big AI component, I think it's a nasty thing. And I think anyone that's saying, hey, this is a great thing is an idiot, (laughs) you know, sorry. But um, but creativity is so important. So we're trying to get kids inspired because creativity is behind everything, the foundation of everything, everything that's been built, everything that's great. Um, It's behind teaching, it's behind engineering, it's behind building, it's behind writing, it's behind art. And so we're trying to inspire creativity through the Britfield series and get kids, you know, um, and that's how I was, you know, like with with um, James and the Giant Peach. I just I love that book. That book stuck with me. The adventure of it, Charlie the Chocolate Factory, um, some great novels that I've been inspired by, and and all of that has kind of been blended into the Britfield series. And it's um and it's hard. It's it's they're as authentic as they can be. I was I was writing, you know, I was editing this morning book four. And even yesterday, and it's like I'm pulling up all the time, looking at like locations. We're now in Saint Petersburg, Russia, in book four, and I'm like looking at maps, and I'm like, what's the weather like in mid October? And, and you know what I mean? What kind of flowers grow in Vienna in the spring? Well, uh-huh. you know what I, mean? I'm, I, I just, love kind it. Of stuff, I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, like, and then where, what street is this? And I'm pulling up the street, and oh, it's a one way, and you know what I mean? So I, I really, I don't, I don't drown it with details which i think too many authors do and i think you take away from the story but i do try to make it as authentic and real as possible and i think that's what's exciting because kids can relate to that they can relate to the characters you know the main characters tom and sarah that they got to figure out their problems you know maybe they escape from weatherly they're chased by this illustrious detective gower stone who's based a little bit on sherlock holmes and james bond so that's a shout out to um to ian fleming and and um, and sir arthur cohan doyle again you know hugely influential um but you know it's like they, it, they make they, they make decisions they collaborate they communicate they critically think uh, sometimes they have the right answers and they and they move forward sometimes they have the wrong answers and they learn from it you know but they don't wave a wand they don't have magical powers they don't fly and so you know as an author you tend to sometimes write yourself into a corner because you're like how do they get out of this you know i don't like to suspend reality i know it's fiction. And you can you can bend it a little bit every now and then but but i like to try to be as authentic and real as possible you know how how much does it cost for a train from yorkshire to london how long does that train ride take you know what i mean just things like that um little details
2: i absolutely love it and uh i'm so inspired i really appreciate it. i i just i just i literally thank god for your mind and your desire to reach the next generation and I think what I'm hearing you say is that uh, anybody, you know, uh, even atheists are going to love your books because they're just—it's not full of an agenda. It's just really—it's just really clean, good, uh, mysterious fantasy in a
1: way. Yeah, yeah, but it's not even fantasy. Yeah, it's just again, it's just—it's—it's a—it's uh, it's a common. It's funny they said uh, I've had uh, the uh, Epoch Times said it's a combination of C.S. Lewis and Dan Brown. Um, I think it it has a feel of um, national treasure. You remember that series with Nicolas Cage? Mm. Um, I had another woman. It's it's really cool. We got a a feedback about three or four weeks ago. She's from Arizona in the United States. And she's like, you know, in her 40s. And she goes, finally, she goes, I've been looking for a good book to read. Someone recommended Britfield. And she goes, it reminds me of Oliver Twist, Les Miserables, um, uh, Sherlock Holmes, and um, Matilda. (laughs) <laughs> I thought, wow, that's,
2: cool. uh, that's quite a combination.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. We had a, we had a 14 year old high school student in Virginia that read book three and it was really cool. This is a couple months ago. And she goes, she goes, I love, she goes, I love the Ritfield series. She goes, it's my favorite series. She goes, book three is my favorite. She goes, you're now up there with Lord of the Rings. And I thought, wow. well, that's cool. You know? And so, and that's the kind of stuff that we're, we're, we're getting, that's the kind of feedback that we're getting, which to me is, amazing because these are all giants to say the least and they're all very well established you know with with 50 to 80 million books sold and 50 to 80 years worth of writing you know what i mean or history behind us so to even be within that realm is incredible um and it's tough it's tough to compete against the harry potters per se because you know you have a whole team of writers that are putting these things together uh they're well well written very articulate great great um vocabulary usage and they create a fantasy world like you said at the beginning of the interview that is enticing it is fun and um and so to, to so to not so to not only compete against that but to actually beat it and we believe we actually will outsell harry potter in the, in the next 10 years that's a fact I we have absolutely not an ounce of doubt that we will knock that thing off its little throne um but to do that without compromising awesome. Right yes. without without the without the wand without the magic without the, the goblins without the the spirits without all, all the other stuff out there, right. we have just this high octane Mission Impossible meets Born Identity meets James Bond you know meets <laughs> Narnia you know series <laughs> that's just fun and exciting and kids are learning and and also and also we pull the curtain back a little bit in book two and three, and reveal a little bit of what's going on in the world right now, um, which you would appreciate and yeah. it's funny too because people that read book two which came out in uh uh april i'm sorry july of 2021 people were calling me up or, or emailing me and saying what are you prophetic you know it's like it's like oh my gosh like everything that's in that book right now is happening right now and i wrote that like five years ago and i said i just do my research you know i know what's going on i pull the curtain and so we have threaded that through these books too and it's and i've done that because it fits this whole thing with britfield and the royal mystery and the real in the real britfield dynasty that was usurpered you know starting with the um uh, uh, Tudors and then the Stuarts and then the Windsors, you know, and it's all in there and it's, it's really good. It's good stuff. Yeah.
2: Yes. Uh, it it sounds amazing. And uh, I'm even thinking like um, my son just got, you know, he just bought a book, you know, we were out and uh, he got a book and he's been reading it around and I'm just going to get it. So, I mean, do you think it's good for, you're talking about adults that will love this as well. Absolutely.
1: Fifty-five percent of our reading audience are adults, and and adults love it. I, I got a, I got a feed. I got an email a couple months ago from a woman in the Netherlands, and and we shipped her. We've shipped her like book one, two, and three to the Netherlands, and it's like you know, it's like forty-five dollars, you know, and she's paying it, and she's like, "Thank you so much." She goes, "I." She goes, "I never read anything like it," and I mean, to get to get that kind of comment from, if you will, well-read people that know what's out there, they've read all the the novels, the classics, and and to say something like that, and. I get feedback all the time from adults and it's, and it's fun. It's exciting. Remember, it's a well-educated historian that's writing this stuff, you know? And so it's like, it's geared towards that sort of young adult audience, but it is, it's great stuff in it. It's, it's great for adults and it's, it's a perfect, you know, holiday gift too. So.
2: Wow. I absolutely love this. So uh, when did you know you were a great writer? Like did in school, in high school, did you think that you had this in you?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, my, my traditional training, I never wanted to be a novelist. You know, I, I think everyone has a book in them, to say the least. And I think everyone kind of wants to write that great novel. I never really wanted to write novels. I never had that desire. Um, but I, I was always fascinated with movies. And I started um, script writing classes when I was like 18 and was working up from, you know, beginning to middle. And then I started working with professional script writers. And so I've got probably 25, 30 years as, you know, writing feature length movie scripts. And so I had that training, if you will, going into book one, Britfield and the Lost Crown. I wasn't thinking it, saying, oh, I've got this great, but it's so interesting that 90% of the, the audience that read book one, or even the book, say it reads like a movie. Um, I'll share I'll I'll a great comment with you too. We just got this, um, it's really cool, my, uh, we get, Feedback. We got thousands of letters from schools, and we just got four letters last week from a school, and they had to pick their favorite author, and um, and write him a letter. And so, how cool is that? And I was like, Hey, four out of like thirty—that's not bad, right? Um, but this is from one kid, and it's really cute. You know, I'm just—I'll just read a couple lines. Sure, it's just, sure. It's so sweet. But he says because um, the entire Britfield series was very interesting and enjoyable to me, but I definitely like Britfield and Return to the Prince the most out of all your three books. I liked it the most because the storytelling and plot was amazing and the way it was described was just great. Sometimes because the book was so good, one could forget they're even reading a book. (laughs) How's that for a comment? Wow. Right? It is Um, really amazing. Yeah. I love that. I couldn't write that comment myself. I mean, like, like you forget sometimes it's so good. You forget you're reading a book. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's beautiful. Um, but it started for me when I was in sixth grade, really. And I had a wonderful teacher at Cronomar Elementary School in Cronomar, Newport Beach, California. And uh, our assignment was to write a book. And uh, and again, at 12 years old, that's a bit daunting. You know what I mean? Like, And it was like, I think it had to be like 25 pages and it could be a paragraph and a picture. It wasn't, you know, and these are the days before the computer. So it's like, you are know, just writing your paragraph out. But it's like you know i think it was like a third of our grade but what do you write and so i uh, you write about what you love and you write about what you know and i love the james bond movies and at that time it was um roger moore it was um the spy who loved me and moonraker and so my first official book if you will was james bond eat your heart out and i was a 12 year old secret agent working for the british government um in england and i was uh, contacted i was down at my little tudor style mansion and i had a butler it's at 12 years old. <laughs> and I was assigned like, they're like, um, we need you. You know, like there's this villain. He's running rapid through through <laughs> Europe and we need you to capture him. And so um, so that was my first book of 25 pages. Oh, wow. and, um, and, it, and, and it's kind of funny because 25 years later, right. here's James Bond, Eat Your Heart Out, right? I mean, it's like they're 12 years old. It takes place in England. And I say all that to say that's the type of impact that teachers or parents can have on their kids when they're 10 11 or 12 years old you never know what will stick or or um inspire them you know what I mean and 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 when I finished that book I didn't sit there and say I'm going to be a writer but I never forgot what that opportunity was like and children can never do something unless they're given the opportunity to do it right you never give them that opportunity to do it and so That was my opportunity and it stuck and it stayed with me and here we are 40 years later part of a global movement for the next 25 years so that's exciting
2: (laughs) it is exciting i am thrilled because uh not only do i have my grown children that i know need to read your book because it'll be exciting and fun and we need to go to the movie but also i've got my grandchildren coming up and uh, i want to make sure that they have got great reading material this is fantastic Fantastic. I yeah, wish you all the inter- best.
1: Oh, okay. Well, Charlie, thank you very ahead. much. I was going to say it's very, it's very interesting because we've had we've had parents that um, like seven, seven, six to seven might be sort of like that, that age, eight years old for, for book one and stuff. But we, it depends on what level they're at. I mean, I've, I've met eight, eight or nine year olds that are reading Lord of the Rings. Like, yikes. But uh, it's like pretty heavy for that age. Right. But we have a lot of parents that will read um, Britfield to their to their, you know, four, five or six years old and um and it's cool and we have a lot of parents that are just involved we have one we have a i, I got an email from one parent it was really cool and she said uh we just got book three but i've got to wait because my husband's traveling for business and he's not <laughs> home for for two days because we read it as a family and i love that stuff you know the coming together as a family reading the book together i had one family said yeah we have just invented the bretfield board game that we play every weekend and i thought how cool is that i said what does the Britfield board game look like you know what i mean I, i'm wondering like how cool is that you know and and so i love those things that were inspiring from it i surprised a 13 year old girl on her birthday last month um parents had, had contacted me and they live locally and i said sure and she goes she goes she, she's read all the authors out there she goes you know you're her favorite author and if there's any way you could show up and so i did and it was like we talked and she's like blown away and we talked for like two and a half hours but it was really cool because she said uh, she goes yeah she's writing her own book now she's on chapter 13. And it's this adventure book where they're traveling, you know, around this certain area in the world. And I thought, isn't that just cool? I mean, I love that. I mean, I love that Britfield is planting seeds for yes. our next generation. That's the idea, you know, get them writing, get them thinking, get them exploring, get them creative. And um, that's what we're all about.
2: So. Absolutely amazing. I'm so excited about this, Chad. Thank you very much for your talent, what you're, what you're giving to the world Uh, Thanks for spending time with us. And then as the movie gets out, please don't forget to let us know so that we can uh, get, you know, get promoting it. And don't forget about Canada, if you wouldn't mind. I mean, a lot of we just had, um, uh, you know, the the tremendous and uh, wonderful kevin sorbo on the show and he's yeah. got these movies that come out and you know they're always kind sure. of a bit apologetic because it's being released in the states and but they just didn't go that extra like hey we're worried we're a huge uh market as well up here and we sure. love 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 to promote making sure that your movie gets here so
1: i love i love canada i love canadians i have a great heart for them always have thank you love um Love um, Vancouver. Uh, when I was back in Wellesley, Massachusetts, and in, in Boston, in Mass, I was back. I was back east for sixteen years in, in Massachusetts, and uh, loved visiting Toronto and Montreal and Quebec, and that would be my weekend away and stuff. Mm-hmm. And love Canada. Would love to do a tour school yeah. tour. hundred uh, so we'll, percent. We'll Vancouver, skate.
2: it's huge. Uh, we'll yeah. we'll help you make it happen. Yep, that's our stomping yeah. ground right here. But we've got. We've got our connections across the country, so we'd love to see this. This is good for the people. This is good for families and uh, exactly the kind of thing that we need to see happening. So it's terrific. Thank you, Chad. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. Take Appreciate
1: care. it. Honour to be on. Honor All right. On.
2: God bless you. Thank you. I love it. I am going. So remember, everyone, the uh, website is Britfield.com, brit F-I-E-L-D, F I E L D Britfield.com, and uh, you can order your your copy today, Uh, I think he said Amazon, right? Um, Go to Amazon, get your copy, Amazon goes everywhere, Um, I love it, I think it's very important. Now, we have got some clips that we're going to go through, a little bit too much for some of the channels we're on, so we are heading over to Rumble right now, if you're on YouTube, I don't know, are we gonna let go of Facebook, or Facebook's good, isn't it? We think Facebook's okay. Mm. They're like treating us, you know, it's been a bit rough, bit rough. Uh, So, but we're gonna say goodbye to YouTube because we love ya, we just wanna respect your boundaries, okay, like every good relationship. We don't feel like you're exactly respectful of our boundaries, but we still love you and we're going to let you go so that you can have some quiet time, YouTube. But if you want to see what we have to share, because it is epic, uh, then you want to head over to rumble.com right now. Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson. Do we have the uh, description in the, link, in the chat. link is in the chat? So just head over there. Google my name, Laurel Lynn Tyler Thompson. Rumble, you're going to get there. All right. We're still live and we'll let YouTube go. Bye-bye, everyone. All right. Good to go? Okay. So, um, in this video, do I have the right one? Oh, JT, I was almost gonna read out the wrong clips because I think those are from yesterday. I forgot to get rid of my paperwork, okay. Uh, Journalist, uh, am I saying this right? Elon Levy recounts what he saw while watching the body cam footage from the Hamas attacks. Should we say that this is a bit much for the kids? Um, it's very graphic and we're sorry. Do you know, we have to do this just, just to let you know, because we're trying to find ways without showing you what happened because people are saying, oh, did it really happen? Or, you know, what, what, what's really going on? No, it really happened. We can't forget. This is the terrorists that came into Israel and did unspeakable things. And we're going to just talk about it through this video. Take a look.
3: But seared in my mind are the bodies, burned bodies, beheaded bodies, mangled, bloodied remains of bodies, bodies in open fields, bodies in blood-covered bedrooms, bodies dragged out of cars, bodies lining the side of the roads, bodies in body bags, bodies in rows upon rows of body bags, so many that Zaka rescue teams went through four years of equipment in three days, bodies in pools of blood. Bodies lying on top of mangled piles of bodies where Hamas has thrown grenades into bomb shelters to blow our young people's limbs from their bodies. We see the body of a young woman in the back of a pickup truck, her leg bent unnaturally backward as terrorists holding RPGs straddle her body, yelling Allahu Akbar, as civilians join in the chorus to celebrate the booty these death squads brought back to Gaza. Bodies twitching, bodies blood streaming from their necks, and Hamas terrorists shoot them to finish them off and check they're dead. Beheaded bodies of soldiers as Hamas terrorists trample their bodies. Inside Gaza, the lifeless, bloodied body of a soldier dragged out of a car. Savages trample him as civilians crowd around him and scream Allahu Akbar in jubilation with pure joy on their faces, taking turns to crush the corpse with their feet. We see the body of a Thai worker, barely still alive, covered in blood, as some depraved savage tries to hack at his neck with a hoe. We see one body of a woman. Her face burned so badly, her lips have burned off, and all we see is her teeth, her legs wide open. Babies' bodies. We see the body of a baby shot in the head. Burned bodies of babies. I mean burned to a crisp, burned babies Plural. I mean, so badly burned that I had to ask the video to be stopped so that it could be explained to me that the piece of coal on the screen was the burned corpse of an Israeli baby. We see a burned body, mouth gagged, fabric still tied in its mouth. We see one body burned so badly that the skin on the head has burned away completely, and you see the white of the skull. We see burned corpses burned to a cinder, frozen in terror, bodies twisted like the human remains from Pompeii. How many burned bodies, we hear the first responders ask, and someone counts, eight. We see bodies burned so badly they are still smoking, just lumps of coal. We see human ash that the world has not seen since Auschwitz. This was Hamas' October 7th massacre. This is the evil that we are up against. This is the evil that Israel will, limit, will eliminate with the total defeat and dismantling of Hamas for the sake of our people and for the Mm -hmm. sake of humanity.
2: It really leaves one speechless. And then we have all of these people on the uh, interwebs saying we can't really believe that they did that and that's just, you know, it's just propaganda. And it's not. So another thing that they did, and I'm doing this because we need to get the truth out there, and it really sickens me. I do not like speaking of those things which are done of them in evil, evil, dark moments. I do not like speaking about it. But because we need the truth at this hour, um, this next clip, Danish journalist Jadam Confino, he was one of 1,400 journalists that were brought in to view, uh, again, um, body cam footage so that they would know the truth. And this was Israeli body cam footage. Again, oh, oh, oh they took some of the body cam uh, footage off dead terrorists as well. And thank God there were dead terrorists. Um, so, again, your children should hopefully not be in the room. Okay,
4: take a listen. Um, I think the best way to describe it really is ISIS on steroids. Uh, the atrocities, atrocities that we already know happened and that we've already seen evidence of by listening to eyewitnesses, seeing the scenes, were now shown to us on a screening 45 minutes of unraw material, GoPro cameras from Hamas terrorists, um, surveillance uh, photo from, from kibbutzim, from small villages, all of it. Really, really showing exactly what happened. I'm not sure how graphic I can be, Pierce, because I would like to explain what I saw, but I don't want to, uh, you know. Scare I think people you should off. just
3: tell me what you saw. I, 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 honestly, we're called uncensored for a reason. I don't think this should be censored.
4: Absolutely, and I absolutely agree. So first of all, I saw a Hamas terrorist throwing a hand grenade into a bomb shelter uh, where a man, a father with his two uh, sons, were high, he was hiding there. Then the father was killed instantly. The two children ran out, disillusioned, blood all over, running back to their home, screaming for their dad. The the youngest boy, who was roughly seven, couldn't see anything. He said, I can't see. And in the meanwhile, the terrorist who threw the grenade went casually into the home, opened the fridge, took out a bottle of water and drank it and offered the kids some water as if nothing had happened. That was just one scene. We also saw, of course, the beheadings. We saw uh, an Israeli soldier lying on the ground, beheaded, and terrorists uh, around him screaming "Allahba" and uh, cheering. We saw Hamas terrorists on the streets systematically assassinating people in their cars, executing them very, very close, in close range, We saw pictures of uh, a burned um, child, uh, burned beyond recognition. You could all, all you could see was it is a very small person. We saw a picture of a dead baby with blood on it. We saw, I don't even know, I I had to leave after 35 minutes because eventually I had seen enough. I knew that this had had, had happened, but because of the severe backlash, especially on social media, by people who refuse to believe that this has taken place despite the overwhelming evidence, I felt like I had to go there to see it so I can tell people that I, with my own eyes, saw it. So if they don't believe the eyewitness that I spoke to, then they can believe me because I'm a journalist and I hope they still believe in what it is that I'm saying. So,
2: um, it's all real, it happened. It's absolutely unbelievable. And anyone who could be standing in Vancouver at one of our prominent locations and basically celebrating Hamas, uh, you know, those who came in and did this atrocity and celebrating what's happened to the the Jews and the Israelis at this time. I, I don't know if you have a soul. This is the greatest terrorizing attack that I've seen in my lifetime Sometimes you hear about places being blown up and, you know, you're just sad about the world and the state it's in because there's just been, you know, so much evil, so much war, so much loss of life. But to think that when you look at that video cam of all of those people, young people mainly, that were at a concert and had to run for their lives as they saw the, you know, paratroopers uh, sailing in not knowing and thinking maybe it was part of the show and then to realize that that they were literally had to run for their lives many of them dying and some hiding for hours and hours um the atrocities described by these last two videos uh we're dealing with human animals they're they're monsters they're so evil i don't know how we get past it all and I think either we showed the video or I saw the video yesterday of another gentleman. Oh yeah, I read it out. Yeah, so it was on here. So I, I see stuff that I I don't end up putting on the show because it's it's so disturbing. Do we all want to be disturbed? But we don't want to see the video, but we want to hear and we want to know that what the truth is about what happened. So moving on to a different I, topic, I've got um, there is the New Zealand Loyal Party leader Liz Gunn. That is the next thing on the list. Jt, you told me to follow the list. Nope, I'll do the I'll do the police state one though. Okay, let, let's do this next video. Take a look.
3: Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Chief Division Counsel and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach.
1: We want the subject to be on display. Doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions?
0: Are we becoming a police
1: state? government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. I've never seen anything like it. It may be the Russia other people grew up in, but not my America. FBI warrant, come to the door now! There's a heavy banging at my door. Open up! There's 15 marked
4: units on my property. I got SWAT in the back of my house. It took a battering ram
3: to my door.
1: 6 a.m., I hear boom, 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 and hear about six to eight military-style Soldiers, with the tallest one of them pointing an automatic rifle at my head. FBI, we have an arrest
3: warrant! Shock you out of sleep, drag you out of your house, have clothes, refuse to give you a warrant, ransack your house. Now I'm facing 15 years in federal prison for doing nothing other than exercising my right to free speech. I had no reason to be attacked. I hope that you remember Matt's name and the role you played in killing him. How did we give the state this kind of power?
1: 9-11 changed everything. We're going to expand the bureau from law enforcement to domestic intelligence. Legal shackles are now off. It used to be Islamic terrorism. That threat has kind of dissipated. Our focus is shifting. They're moving to domestic extremists. really paints anybody who's right of center. What
4: we need is a person to look at and then we go find out what crime you did. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. The demand for domestic terrorism vastly outstrips the supply. When candidate
2: Trump came down the escalators, the government had a meltdown.
1: We are going to drain the swamp. We'll see about that. You take on the intelligence community, they have six ways from Sunday at getting back at you. The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. Google literally rewrote their news algorithm based upon what Trump was doing so that they could get this guy.
4: You just take out the word Russiagate and you put in COVID origins. You take out COVID origins
0: and you put in Hunter Biden's laptop. You take that out and you put in January 6th. It's a replicated play from the deep state and their partners in the media. They're not just deplatforming
1: you. They are trying to throw people in prison.
3: If they're coming for me, they're coming for you.
1: Hands on your head! These are anti-government. We are freedom of religion and freedom
2: of speech!
1: Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. Police State. Exclusively in theaters October 23rd and 25th. Tickets sold only on policestatefilm.net.
2: Hmm. So this is uh, Dinesh D'Souza's uh, next video, um, epic. And this is what they've done is because of some of these tragedies that are in the world and different things like 9-11, um, moving forward from that, you know, uh, they, they've used tragedies. And I'm waiting to see the outfall in what has happened in Israel being used to bring in a further police state. And we've seen how our prime minister... Can certainly declare an emergency when one doesn't need to be declared. So <coughs> um, it's absolutely, um, you know, our world is going to that place. But let's move on. <coughs> Have a cough. To New Zealand, loyal party leader Lisa Gunn. Take a look at the this. The figures fashion. show
0: that there are tens of thousands of deaths linked to the jabs. And this is just one of the sites recording this type of information in New Zealand. We don't know how many further databases like this are in the country. So it follows that as the deaths are usually less than the numbers of side effects, then the extrapolation of the numbers of injured and dead Kiwis starts to become, frankly, eye-watering. We saw in the data that there are many clusters of deaths, people who attended the same jab site and were jabbed one after the other at consecutive times on the same day. We saw their jab date. We saw their date of death. Let me give you just one of many examples. On one day, 30 people were jabbed on the same day at the same location. All are now deceased and their deaths are in close temporal time proximity to each other. That's, that's 30, that's all players in a rugby match on the field, suddenly dead. You see, statistically, the numbers of deaths we saw cannot be attributed to natural causes given same site and same date of vaccination. It would be, what they say statistically, highly unlikely. We are calling for an inquiry, not just any inquiry, a full-blown criminal investigation, leaving no stone unturned. New Zealand is a crime scene. Wow.
2: So people are starting to really talk about the outfall of these jabs. Um, That's factual, so I hope we're not going to get any you know, issues with Facebook today because Facebook, we know you would want the truth to come out, right? So it looks like Liz Gunn has a, she's the leader of the loyal party in New Zealand and she is breaking it out. I'm very sad that it's not the, the leaders in power, that it's not the number one leader in the country that is saying 30 people died, who got the shot on the same day at a clinic, they're all dead. The statistical probability of this would be astronomical if somebody suggested, oh, you know, well, we would know we'd have a case against the vaccines if 30 people from the same place, you know, on the same date died. We Well, then maybe we'd look at it. That's what we have. And so, Thank you to uh, Liz Gunn for bringing this forward. Keep an eye on this lady. Look her up. Look up the loyal party in New Zealand. Um, Perhaps they're a little bit like the People's Party, JT was saying. Like they're, they're a group trying to speak the truth, not in power yet, but they're onto it. And, of course, because they're onto it, they get the negative press and they get sidelined. And I'm just wondering, you know, if this video and these talking points are being reiterated through New Zealand right now. My guess, probably not. See if you can find anything on that. All right, so universal basic income, it sounds wonderful, right? Wouldn't it be great? Um, Hey, we all get money just, just for living. Just because you're alive, you get a paycheck. All right, take a look, because Canada is beginning to explore universal basic income. Is it good or bad?
0: It is my privilege, honor, and responsibility to be the sponsor of Bill S-233, which we've just
2: uh, commenced study of in the Senate Standing Committee on Finance. The, com- the bill would introduce uh, a framework to develop a guaranteed livable basic income. Right now is the fact that we are struggling throughout this country with homelessness,
0: food insecurity, poverty, health, mental health issues. And this is one way that we could start to look at these issues. It's not the only way, but it's certainly a key way.
2: Okay, well on top of that, I think so let's just give a little bit of an outline about this. This is not like, in order to have, you know, universal basic income, you need sort of the the liberals uh, are, are always pushing this. The NDP, you know, take care of everybody. But what does it do? It's like welfare in a lot of ways. I remember having a friend, a very good friend, years ago. He'd come out of drug addiction, but he was on welfare. And he could not see the day where he'd get off welfare because he really needed that security that he'd have this, you know, frankly, tiny little bit of money to kind of keep him going. So what did that do? Well, if you're on welfare, you can't get another job. And it keeps you in a poverty mentality because you don't want to get, you, you don't want to take the risk of losing this money that you always have sitting right there. And, uh, and eventually, uh, you know, just kept talking about it with him and, you know, working through, well, okay, you can stay at this welfare state or you can move on and be creative and use your talents and skills to get a job that brings you more money than what you get through welfare. And so it was just like, um, it was a big twist and a, and a turnaround for his brain and eventually uh, he was able to do that. But the thing about a universal basic instinct, I think that the the argument, uh, income. What did I say, instinct? Yeah. <laughs> Because it's our instinct to take the money and run. So our uh, universal basic income. Um, I mean, JT, like what are some of the the reasons that this wouldn't be a good idea? Basically, you know, my thought is it keeps you kind of maybe lazy and...
3: The government will have to print more money to make it happen.
2: Okay, so there's the, yeah, like, how are we going to pay for small it Small businesses aspect.
3: will go under because people will say, why should I go get a job at McDonald's when I can just stay at home and collect money? Right. So tons of businesses will close. Costco will be fine. Government liquor stores will be fine. Uh, large businesses, Walmart, will be fine. But small businesses will be wiped out.
2: Because th- this is what happened after you gave out all the uh, that free money over COVID. Is uh, we have personal friends that were restaurant owners and nobody wanted to come back to work because, well, we're getting served. You know, why would we go to work when we have this? So, uh, JT's point is that, you know, the small business owners, it's gonna wipe them out. Nobody wants to work for the amount you can afford to pay, which some people previously would have worked for that, you know, and we all stretch together. Um, but you're going to have this universal income. And so there's going to be ramifications like anybody's business now. Okay. So <clears throat> if you can see my share there, JT, so this is Lisa Lanceman. Um, is, is it Lisa, Melissa, Melissa? Yeah. Melissa Lanceman. So she is the number two in command of the Conservative Party of Canada. She's getting interviewed and I can't play the audio. I don't think, can I play the audio? Cause it'll feed back. Um, So she's getting interviewed and uh, he's basically saying, you know, that the parties are going to offer this. And then she surprisingly says, well, I think I somewhat agree with that. Uh, This could be a conservative uh, position in that, you know, we would just be offering people a living wage uh, that's going to come and could be by a different name. And he says, that doesn't sound very conservative to me. And she's like, well, you know what? We could really embrace this as a conservative government. No, it's never been the conservative way to just give people money. It doesn't help you. You teach people to, to fish. You make your economy strong so people are paid well uh, for doing work. Um, imagine your lazy 15 year old that you've got sitting on your couch doesn't even want to go to school anymore. And now, you know, as soon as possible, he's going to be able to, you know, get all this money. So, Melissa Lansman of the Conservative Party of Canada totally promoting this. Everyone knows. I mean, haven't there been other societies, JT, where it was shown that it wasn't a good idea? And that when you give out, it's, it's like Soviet Russia, right? It's a communist kind of thing. Uh, do you think that they te- treat their people well? No, absolutely not. And so it's it's just not a good idea at all. All right. Um, oh, I think we already played the, the police state and all of that. Okay. A couple things I want to go over that are in the news right now. Um, <clears throat> um I was not, every time I go to, I'm trying to get to, uh, if we can go to, okay, share this. This is sort of what's uh, in the news today. Trudeau is saying he supports a humanitarian pause to allow aid to flow into Gaza. Um, Then, um, Liberal MP office uh, is vandalized amid a pro-Palestinian rally. Uh, So that's very interesting. Yeah. (gasps) You know, so what happened here? So... Liberal MP office vandalized pro-Palestinian rally. So I guess what? I guess this liberal was basically supportive of Israel defending itself. A liberal MP is considering filing criminal charges after his downtown London, Ontario office was vandalized during a pro-Palestinian rally over the weekend. Peter uh, Kotas, MP for London North Centre, told Global News on Tuesday that his conti- constituency office... Um, was sprayed with ketchup so that's ketchup all over the place um he has no problem you know with protest uh but you can't be doing this kind of stuff hey um i wonder if Trudeau's going to call an emergency thing you know spraying ketchup and becoming violent all those uh potential challenges that we're seeing with the um this was done to simulate the blood of palestinian civilians he added Three large pro-Palestinian rallies have taken place in London since Hamas carried out a multi-front attack on Israel on October 7th, killing more than 1,400 people, according to Israeli officials. Uh, The Hamas-controlled Gaza Ministry of Health says more than 5,700 Palestinians have now been killed since Israel began its offensive, including 2,300 children. Uh, Fragis Kotas issued a statement on the conflict last week. So what did he have to say? He condemns what Hamas had carried out against innocent Israel civilians, calling it one of the most heinous acts to be perpetuated against a civilian population since the Second World War. Um, and that's right. So because of that, basically, uh, you know, because of that I'll, I can show you his tweet here. Uh, Canadians and Londoners um, have been watching, and so because of that, the um, you know the Palestinian rioters or you know those. The, I mean, that's kind of a riot when you do stuff like that. So we're going to see how all of this plays out. I do think, um, and and I'm very glad for anyone who's standing uh, against what Hamas did to Israel because that was the first insight. I've had numerous people now writing me saying, "Oh, well, what about these other?" Uh, conflicts in Israel and do you know what it's really helped me to get educated because every time somebody says well in 1912 such and such happened or 19 you know 1983 there was uh, some war um, and I'm able to go back into history and you can't just go to Wikipedia let me tell you because Wikipedia has definitely got their you know way of of uh, sharing the news but You go into different uh, authors, different stories, and then you get eventually the whole story. Oh, you know, well, this is what happened. I mean, at one point there was, I know one war was started because a crazy Israeli uh, person, and by crazy, I mean he literally had mental health issues. Uh, Very sad. He was mentally deranged. He went in and he killed, I believe it was nine people in a mosque. Terrible. Horrendous. So because of that, uh, his actions were immediately um, put down by Israeli leadership, by the military, by everyone, like like it was absolutely um, condemned what he had done. But that, that wasn't enough to stop what was going on. So there's been no condemnation of Hamas brutality, the sick and disturbing things we heard just a few minutes ago described by those who have seen the video footage and the video cam of the live attacks and you know after you know the after effects from the attacks. Um, Hamas is not repenting, no. But yes, in another case, an Israeli, literally, mentally deranged person. Oh, and he was a U.S. uh, Jew. So I guess he came from the U.S. and he became a Jew, I suppose. So he killed all these people absolutely horrendous it is immediately denounced by the israeli powers that be and yet all of this killing happened of course when you know when they began shooting at the the jews then they had to fight back and of course another crazy thing but people will just send me well this is what happened you know the jews went in and killed nine people in a mosque no 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 a united states fellow who became a jew who was mentally unwell and was denounced. And it was a horrendous experience, very similar. I mean, isn't that what they say? Somebody goes, you know, and shoots up a whole bunch of people in the States. Oh, well, he had mental health issues. How about, you know, the different attacks that we've had in our Eastern part of our own country? Right? Um, By a Muslim young man. And the first thing that they say is, well, he, he was mentally ill, right? Here in Canada, thank God, we don't just start shooting everyone because somebody who's mentally unwell um, killed a bunch of people. We have to find solutions and peace outside of it all. So, we do aim to find those solutions and peace. One of the ways to have some fun is to be together. And we're going to be doing that this Saturday, October 28th. We've got an incredible event that is uh, happening. We have epic people now. I'm not certain if you have heard about what Dr. Byron Bridal is putting out. Um, So apparently Health Canada is having to admit that... Um, Health Canada is having to admit that it was not disclosed to them by Pfizer. That that SV40 component that is provably inside the vaccines, that was never told to them. So Health Canada needs to disclose this fully to the entire population. That SV40, I think it's called, which is a cancer-causing um, component that has been now injected into millions of our Canadian population. And I don't know about you, but have you heard of people that have been getting these turbo cancers and sudden cancers? A lot of them, in fact, the doctors have been crying out, we have a problem, Dr. William Macus, who will be there on Saturday. Now, if you are anywhere near the Toronto area and you want someone to hear the truth from the experts like Dr. Byron Bridal, who he has faced a tremendous challenge. They literally refused to allow him back to his lab and to his office at the university, I think it's Guelph University that he works at, um, when he began speaking out his concerns about the vaccines. He had data, he had facts, he had the science, and yet they still went against him. Well, this latest thing uh, that uh, that is coming out is extremely, extremely disturbing. And now Health Canada basically is going to be put in a position where they need to either come clean and make a huge announcement or we can... Sue them, if they come clean that they were not told, well, then perhaps then we can sue Pfizer because they have not um, disclosed to everyone um, that this component was in the vaccines. Very, very evil. So I'm looking kind of for, all right, here it is, JT, if you're able to... Um, So explosive story, Health Canada admits that Pfizer misrepresented their COVID-19 shot. Yes, I'll make it bigger. I think I'm going to go into this, though, and I'll share this instead. Give me a moment here because this is so huge. So Dr. Byron Bridal, who will be there this Saturday to explain in detail the facts. Um, Here's what's happened. It's been two years, two months, and 26 days. Since the administration of my employer, the University of Guelph banned me from accessing my office and laboratory. So take a look at this. I am astonished Canada's Health Regulatory Agency has made a stunning admission. This is all true. About Pfizer's COVID-19 shots, they seem to be grasping reality again, praise God. At least for an issue that is a big no-no in the regulation of novel medical products. First some background. Pfizer's COVID-19 shots consists of three parts, a tiny genetic blueprint for the sprite protein from SARS-CoV-2, which can cause COVID-19 in some people. So the shots can cause COVID-19. This blueprint is called modified RNA, lipid nanoparticles, which are tiny fat bubbles that carry the mod RNA throughout the body. Number three, a carrier solution that allows the first two products to be injected into the body. That... Carrier solution uh, is what will help to get it to all parts and now we've seen that it gets to the brain, it gets to your organs. RNA comes from DNA. So for Pfizer to manufacture their Mod RNA, they used a form of DNA that comes from bacteria. It's called bacterial plasmid DNA. This is used to make many copies of the Mod RNA and then get packaged into the lipid nanoparticles. The bacterial plasmid DNA is then supposed to be removed from the material that gets injected into people. Unfortunately, it turns out that this was not done properly. It appears that most, if not all, of the batches of Pfizer's COVID-19 shots were contaminated with excessive amounts of fragmented bacterial DNA. A few of the problems is that this DNA can be very long-lasting, can be a source of proteins that are encoded in the DNA, has the potential to be incorporated into a person's chromosomes, can cause inflammation in the body, was not disclosed to anyone receiving the shots. So no one got informed consent on any of this. Kudos to Kevin McKernan from the USA who is a great scientist and the person who discovered the issue. Now there is one of the biggest shockers about this contaminant. Now here is one of the biggest shockers about this contaminated bacterial DNA. This bacteria DNA contains a genetic sequence, here's the part, called the SV40 enhancer and because it comes from simian virus 40, the virus from which this genetic sequence is derived has been implicated in causing cancers in people. It was odd that this was put into the bacterial DNA because its intended function is duplicated by another non-controversial sequence. In other words, they didn't need this in there because any function of this SV40 would be done by another sequence. Here is where things get really ugly. If it can get uglier, says Dr. Uh, Byron Bridal, here's things where... Uh, where they get really ugly, Pfizer was required to disclose to health regulatory agencies all of the bioactive sequences in the bacterial plasma DNA that they use to manufacture their shots. Pfizer did not disclose the presence of the genetic sequence from SV40. Right there. Here's another bombshell, says Dr. Byron Bridle. A friend and member of my research team, the incredible Canadian virologist Dr. David Speaker, just released a preprint article today. He authored it with the great Kevin McKernan, awesome Jessica Rose, and amazing Maria Gucci, and fabulous David Wiseman. I can attest to the integrity and intellectual brilliance of each of these individuals, Dr. Bridal tells us. I would like to point you to Substack article in which Dr. Spiker provided some personal background information. The preprint article can be found here. So this is on Dr. Byron Bridal's Substack. He's, um, he goes by viralimmunologist.substack.com. Viralimmunologist.substack.com. Um, the results of Dr. Spiker's research are profound. He, granted the largest date, he generated the largest data set to date on this topic using vials from multiple Canadian batches of both the Pfizer and Moderna shots. Every single one, every one was contaminated with the bacterial DNA. He also confirmed the presence of the SV40 enhancer sequence in the contaminating DNA in Pfizer's Canadian vials. And this is hot off the press. He is the first to test a batch of Moderna's newest booster COVID-19 shot. It was also contaminated, although Moderna's bacterial DNA does not contain the genetic sequence from SV40. Spiker, McKernan, and others sharing the scientific findings have been the focus of attacks from many so-called misinformation experts. Oh, do you know all of them? The misinformation experts that don't allow Real truth to get out? Mm. None of whom have been able to refute their findings. Colleagues at my own academic institution even took to attacking Dr. Speaker, actually it's called, uh, he's called in social media at least in part as a way to get at me, Dr. Bridal. Faculty and others attacking a member of someone's research team is profoundly inappropriate. Most academic institutions would view such behavior At a minimum, as a form of academic misconduct. So, what he wants to emphasize, and the Epic Times has just published a very important article about this issue. Note the stunning headline Health Canada confirms undisclosed presence of DNA sequence in Pfizer shot. The article directly quotes an email sent by Health Canada to Epic Times. Health Canada expects sponsors to identify any biologically Functional DNA sequences within a plasmid, such as SV40 Enhancer, at the time of submission. That's what Health Canada is saying. The sponsor in this case is Pfizer. Health Canada went on to say, Although the full DNA sequence of the Pfizer plasmid was provided at the time of initial filing, the sponsor did not specifically identify the SV40 sequence. What was it you just hit there? That scared me. And only because Kevin McKernan and others revealed the unexpected presence of the SV40 sequence, it was possible for Health Canada to confirm the presence of the enhancer based on the plasma DNA sequence submitted by Pfizer against the published SV40 enhancer sequence. This is an admission of epic proportions, says Dr. Byron Bridle, coming from Health Canada. One must wonder why Pfizer would not disclose the presence of a biologically functional DNA DNA sequence to a health regulator when it is clearly their responsibility to do so. I suspect the Health Canada is not happy that their rules were not adhered to and that this was only discovered by objective 30-party scientists of integrity, like Dr. Speaker who worked diligently despite incessant harassment, defamation, and threats. Dr. Speaker actually spoke at the Great Canadian Awakening, and if he's in Ontario, maybe we got to bring him in again. Let's check on that, Dominique. I don't know. I think maybe if he's around, he should speak as well. Notably, Pfizer has been granted legal indemnity for their shot, something which is and of itself should be a major concern. However, an important court ruling was recently made in Michigan in the USA. Listen to this. Specifically, the court ruled that a pharmaceutical company's legal indemnity was null and void for a contaminated version of the medical product. So if it's contaminated, that means you got a problem somewhere and then you don't get legal indemnity. The product but not any contaminants are subject to the legal indemnity. The failing to disclose a bioactive component would seem to go one step further. You can read an article about this legal issue. So it would follow that Pfizer's legal indemnity should be null and void for shots that contaminated the bacterial DNA that included a bioactive sequence that was not disclosed. disclosed. I wonder what people will think knowing that Health Canada has listened to misinformation spreading scientists. Because that's what they've been calling them. <laughs> the people that have found out that this SV40 was in the shots. Oh, they're the mis—they're the misinformation and disinformation spreaders. All right. So we are going to have uh, Dr. Byron Bridal on the show tomorrow. Do not miss it. So if I could go back to one thing, um, JT, what I'll do is see if I can get um, to... Uh, Dr. There's another Dr. Stephen. Can I get this in here at all? Oh, shoot. Okay, hang on. Um, So, yes, I'll pull this up. So, Steve Kirsch, uh, many of you might follow him in the States, breaking. You can now sue, he says. You can now sue. The mRNA COVID vaccine manufacturers for damages and the FDA is required to take the COVID vaccines off the market. Why? Adulteration. The plasmid bioactive contaminant sequences were not pointed out to the regulatory authorities. It's considered adulteration. I just got off the phone with Professor Byron Bridle and Dr. Robert Malone. And uh, the FDA is now at a crossroads, and why would that be, Steve Kirsch goes on to say. Either they admit that they knew about the plasma contamination. Now, the FDA is in the States, while Health Canada is here in, in Canada. So they either knew about the plasma contamination and failed to disclose that to the public and the outside, uh, to the outside committees, or they can claim that they didn't know about it, in which case... Pfizer is liable. I wonder who Health Canada would like to be liable for all of this. Themselves, who say they didn't know about the SV-40, or should we blame straight, square Pfizer for what's happened? But we have the Pfizer documents that were given to the FDA, so we know that the FDA, what the FDA got and I seriously doubt that there's any disclosure of SV40 contamination. That means we have an adulterated vaccine and the FDA has to remove it from the market until the adulteration is fixed. If the FDA doesn't do that, they should face criminal prosecu- prosecution for endangering the public and not following the law. Okay, so we have got Dr. Byron Bridal at our event this Saturday. So let's say that you're in the area and you've got some friends who, you know, haven't been too keen on all the, the, you know, the information, the videos, the articles you've been passing to them because, you know, they don't like all of this negative talk about the vaccines. Um, Well, let's just get some facts uh, going. Let's get some, let's give them an opportunity to see the actual doctors putting forward the actual data. That's why this is important. Some people have said, you know, why are we continuing to talk about this? Well, they're continu- continuing to vaccinate. They're continuing to want your young children, uh, babies, and young people to get the vaccination that apparently we're finding out has an agent in it that's linked to cancer. Come and hear Dr. William Mackis talk about all of this. And then let's have uh, Dr. Uh, Brian Artis from the United States of America talk about what he's discovered and has put forward massively. Into uh, you know, into the um, the social media causeways about what he knows has been found in these vaccines. Let's get the information on the table, that's why information is important. Without knowledge, the people perish. And Dr. Lance Wall now, epic, 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 he will be there. He is just brilliant, he's funny. Um, I love. His humor and I love his truth and I think he is one of the most discerning men on the planet. I mean that. He just gets it. When something's going on, he can dispel it. He can, he can kind of uh, bring it down to uh, a way that you can understand some of these serious, complicated issues that we see going on worldwide. So listen, go to my website, lauralyn.tv, go to the events section, sign up get your tickets and guess what we have tickets for all all budgets um we don't want anyone to miss it because you can't afford it please if you can afford it can you just please shove the right amount in but uh, because we got a lot of bills i have to tell you a lot of bills from putting this conference on imagine uh flying in the speakers you know hoteling housing the speakers um you know blessing them, the venue, the food. It's, it's been quite something, but you know what? We undertook it knowing that it's going to be a real stretch faith-wise, but knowing that we need to keep educating and we need to keep letting people know who they can trust, uh, what, what they, the facts they need to know to make informed decisions moving forward. Because apparently no matter how much bad has come We've got the Dr. Teresa Tams and Dr. Bonnie Henrys of the world that just continue to lie nonstop. They literally have to be uh, complete blazing ignoramuses or they're culpable in something very, very bad. Which one is it? Dr. Teresa Tam, which one is it? Are you dumb or are you evil? Because that's the only two choices here. After this has come out, you tell me Dr. Teresa Tam. I think that it should be on you personally, on Dr. Bonnie Henry as well. What you've done to this province, my province of British Columbia, people have been paying attention and you've hurt a lot of people. You really have and they're waking up to it. So I hope that you can come out. Uh, we tell the truth there, we have a lot of fun. We've got some amazing music planned. Um, Please pray for Eli, uh, our worship leader, Eli Ibera. He has been attacked unbelievably in his physical health. It's been very bad. So we've got all the prayer warriors on it. We are asking you to pray. Would you just hold Eli up before the throne and ask God to just touch his body and heal him and uh, allow him to be able to make his way out to Ontario for the job he needs to do? pray for that. We're believing for an absolute miracle. So I'd like to leave you today with uh, a word here. And um, all right. I love early in the morning getting up and then I kind of mark things out and I bring it to you. I just got a few markings. that I, I got to go to the one that I had. Yes. So Psalms 133, how good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Man, I was thinking about how, you know, how much I really miss um, our unity that has been taken from us, our dwelling together in unity. Um, We've had so many issues that have caused us to fight against one another So much has been a battle. Um, Churches have been at odds with one another. They've taken different positions. We have a growing faction of separation with this ideology that has been put into our culture and is separating people. We've had the vaccine issue, a medical issue, which has harmed Uh, us as a people group, it's caused division between our families. And personally, I'm very sad about that because um, there's aspects of my um, family personally that I think there's been division brought. And I would like unity back and I would like love back. And I would like friendship and family gatherings again, together. I would like us to have that back. How good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard. Aaron, an Israeli, (laughs) a Jew, um, down on the collar of his robe. It is the dew of Hermon That's a place in Israel where falling on Mount. Oh, uh, it is sorry, my eyes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion for there, the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Praise the Lord. All you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. He who is the maker of heaven and earth. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, you servants of the Lord. Do you know that the word of God says that God inhabits our praise? We get so busy and so caught up with all the pain that's in our lives that you know, the one thing that we're we're doing is complaining a lot. If we talk to God, we're like, can you fix this and fix that? And what about this, Lord? Can you take care of this? And in actual fact, and in actual fact, uh, God, he wants to hear our heart, but we're to enter. You know, when you go before the king, you don't just run in before a great majesty of the earth, let's say. You know, you don't run in before them and, and say, you know, I demand this and I demand that and can you fix this and all that? No, no, you would entreat the king in a way. And that entreatment is through Thanksgiving. I thank you, God, that you've kept us in peace. I thank you, God, that you've kept us safe and secure. I thank you, God, that you give us peace that passes all understanding. I thank you, God, that you give us joy and I praise you for who you are. You are amazing. And then, Let your requests be made known to him. God bless, we'll see you tomorrow. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing, but for some of us, we feel that we have no choice. Because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked, and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support.